0: It's real nice to have the district superintendent with us, who happens to be my wife, who said, don't embarrass us. As I walked up here, (laughs) she's a real encourager. (laughs) Uh, I got to tease her a little bit. Uh, Be praying for Olivia this week. Uh, So as as district superintendent, we, we had a The blessing of having her in the month of December around the church a lot uh, because nobody on the district really needs the district superintendent in December. But then January comes and she's off. She's off to uh, Nazarene University, Trevecca in Nashville uh, to preach this coming week for student revival or, or spiritual emphasis week in their chapels. And so if Olivia comes to mind, be praying for her. Well, hopefully you've been with us. If you're visiting for the first time this morning, then uh, know that we've been in, for the month of January, we've been in the book of Acts, and so we're going to finish that uh, today. We, of course, are just choosing a select uh, few chapters to pinpoint this month because four weeks is not enough to cover the entire book of Acts. But I've been using this month, uh, new year, new calendar year, to think about new beginnings. What might God want to be doing in our lives? What new beginning might he want to do? And, and the book of Acts offers us really great examples, patterns, uh, ways to think about how God might be moving even now in our lives. And what those new beginnings might look like. If you've missed uh, the previous sermons or want to go back... Just remember that they're on the app or you can go online uh, to our church website and connect that way to see the previous archived sermons. Today we're going to wrap up our Acts series and the new beginnings that God is doing. We'll be in Acts chapter 15 in just a few moments. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, I'll be starting in verse 36 if you want to find that. To help us, though, so I want to I kind of fill in the gap between where we were last week. We were in Acts chapter 9 and 10. We were with Saul, who becomes Paul, and we were with Peter and the vision that he receives to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and, and offer him uh, the grace of the Holy Spirit that comes upon Cornelius and his family. In Acts chapter 11... We find out that this persecution that we referenced all the way back in, in Acts chapter 8, that, that Saul was really one of, one of the advocates for, persecuting the Christian faith, right? That that had caused many of the disciples that were following Jesus to, to flee. And, and we met Philip, who was one of those that fled. But we pick that back up in Acts chapter 11, that some of the other disciples fled to other places like Antioch. And an interesting thing happens, we discover in Acts chapter 11, that instead of going just exclusively to the Jewish communities or the synagogues to tell about Jesus and as the Messiah, which makes sense, a lot of the disciples did this, some unnamed disciples decided to go and take the gospel to the Greeks, to Gentiles. And lo and behold guess what happens? The Holy Spirit moves amongst these Greeks, and and the church in in Jerusalem hears about this, and so they decide they need to send an ambassador, they need to send a representative to go and see what's happening, and to help with the work in Antioch, and the person that is elected to go on behalf of the Jerusalem church is a guy named Barnabas. In Acts chapter 11, verse 24, we have a description of Barnabas which I think, wow, this is an amazing description. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. How many of us in here would love for that to be stated at our funeral service? Oh, he was a good man. She was a good woman. She was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Oh, here is an interesting person in the person of Barnabas. The very next verse, verse 25, it says that he went to Tarsus to go and get a guy named Saul. Paul. Remember, he had his conversion story. and, And Barnabas wants to go and take Paul with him on this journey to Antioch. And they go. Chapters 13 and 14 tell us of their success. In chapter 12, you hear a little bit more about Peter. Uh, But 13 and 14, we pick up on the Barnabas and and Saul, Paul experience. And then in chapter 15, we discover that as the gospel is exploding in the Gentile world, there's a little bit of concern in in the Jewish church, uh, the church in Jerusalem. How does the Jewish faith really interact with the Christian faith as it is being extended to Gentiles. What are we going to ask of these Gentile Christians? Do they have to submit to all the law, the Torah, the 613 commandments? Do they need to submit to that? Do they need to become circumcised? What are we going to expect of these Gentiles who have no Jewish background? Acts 15 is a significant chapter. If you want to read the four expectations that the Jewish Christians want to impose or ask of the Gentile Christians, then all you need to do is go to the letter that's recorded in chapter 15 starting with verse 24. Just four expectations. That letter is then sent back to the church in Antioch and we hear in verse 31 that as they read this letter in the assembly that they were glad to receive it and glad for the encouraging message. These four rules, four expectations that the Jerusalem church extends to the Gentile church wasn't received as imposing, wasn't received as a punishment. They found it to be encouraging. So here's this beautiful picture of of the church growing and expanding and, and crossing these ancient barriers, Jew and Gentile. And at the heart of it is Barnabas and Paul, the missionaries that are being sent out And then we read verse 36 of chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. You can almost hear the pastoral concern here, right? All these churches are being planted. And now... Paul is is thinking maybe we need to go back and revisit these churches, revisit these communities to make sure that they're doing well. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think this wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Is that what you thought was going to happen? Because that's not what I thought was going to happen. What an awkward passage, and why am I choosing to preach on this passage, you might be asking yourself. Of all the passages in the book of Acts, and if we're only going to choose four, why in the world is Dustin choosing this passage? It's awkward. It's a little bit embarrassing, isn't it? To have this disagreement recorded for all of us to to have access to, to hear about. Do you want your disagreements recorded and written down so that later generations can hear about it? (laughs) Thank you. I don't either. (laughs) Here it is. Written down and recorded for us. This is not the most encouraging of passages, of course, in the book of Acts. It's not the most uplifting, the most edifying of passages, but it's here. What are we to do with it? I'm coming to appreciate that our Bible records things that I used to think were embarrassing. <laughs> My older self is a little bit more nuanced in my thinking. My older self is a little bit more encouraged by passages like this that we might think, oh, that's embarrassing. Why is that recorded? That's messy. Why would you put that in there? I actually find it somewhat encouraging. Why do we hear in Scripture, for instance, that Lot sleeps with his daughters? Oh, that's awkward. That should never have been told. Wouldn't it have been better left unsaid, unspoken? Why did that have to be recorded? I've been listening through Genesis. I've been listening to the Bible, and and so I've finished Genesis now. But in in the book of Genesis, you hear about Lot, but you also hear about Abraham passing off his wife as his sister, not once, but twice. Oh, that's embarrassing. Why? Why do we have to hear about that? Why do we have to hear about Isaac, his son, doing the exact same thing with his wife? Oh, maybe it would have been better left unsaid, right? What about Moses and the killing of the Egyptian? Do you remember that Moses killed the Egyptian? Here's this great faith leader. Isn't it better that we didn't hear that? Why do we have to hear that that blemish on his record why do we have to hear about David sleeping with Bathsheba? Wouldn't it have been better if that was unspoken, unsaid? I come to this passage and it's not as, quite as severe as murder or adultery. But I wonder, isn't it better, wouldn't it be better if this passage was left unsaid, unspoken, that we didn't have to hear about it? That Paul and, and Barnabas come together and there's such a severe disagreement between the two of them that they break company, they, they separate and they go separate directions. Wouldn't that have been better if it was just left unspoken? I don't know how you feel about those kinds of passages, but they can be a bit uncomfortable for us. I think my younger self in reflecting back is I've I've learned to wrestle with scripture and the realities that are spoken here. That in our in our childhood stage and and even sometimes into our teenage years we we tend to sanitize some of these stories. We want, to, we want to teach them the positive things, the good things, so we think about the stories of David, and we're going to tell the story of Goliath, right? We're going to tell all the good that David does, but maybe we're not going to talk about that Bathsheba experience. But Scripture tells it. Scripture records it. And I'm not suggesting that we need to to tell our kids everything at the start. I think we have to expose them and bring them up in the faith in kind of stages. But as we have some teenagers here, obviously you're going to get the full story today, right? At some point, I need you to understand that these men and women that we look in our scriptures as saints, those that pass on the faith to us, that we're only here because of them. They're models for us, but sometimes the modeling that we get from them is that they did wrong, and we're not to follow that pattern. That's what I think why we hear things in Scripture that are sometimes awkward, sometimes uh, shameful, sometimes examples of sin. That's why we're given them is because they're real, they're real stories, and we're to learn from their poor example, not just from their good example. So David has many good examples for us. Oh, let's be like David in many ways, but friends, let's stop short of what he does with Bathsheba, obviously. So I'm thinking about this passage, and I'm wondering, oh, it's kind of awkward. Mm, Maybe it would have been better if it wasn't recorded, but maybe it's recorded for a reason. There's something here for us to learn. So for our last sermon on Acts, I want to look at this awkward passage To acknowledge that all God's new beginnings don't always go the way we want or the way we expect. Oh, God is in the business of new beginnings. But friends, I need you to hear me. The testimony of Scripture suggests that those new beginnings might come with complications, challenges, difficulties. The Paul and Barnabas collaboration seemed to be working so well up to this point. It was God ordained, and I don't use those words lightly because if you go back to chapter 13, verse 2, you read these words Set apart, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. This is God ordained work. These two men are missionaries to really the, the Gentile world, the Greek-speaking world. They are, they're going to take the gospel to places that are just beyond imagination. This is God-ordained. And they seem to work so well together. Barnabas sought out Paul, this person that some had questions about. But, but Paul or Barnabas sees something in Paul that he wants him in, in this experience. He wants to mentor him. He wants to bring him a part of this mission conc- uh, Uh, This mission, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say conquest, but that's not quite the right word, is it? (laughs) This mission adventure that they were going to go on. He wants to take Paul with him. And all all seems to be going well, and there's fruits of this labor and this partnership, but we discovered that there's a third wheel. (laughs) And with this third wheel comes a problem. In chapter 12, verse 25, if you go back and look at it, we're told that they take John with them, John also called Mark. In just a few verses later, we, we hear again in 13, 4, that as they set out on this new mission journey, that they take John with them. He is to be their helper, we are told in verse 4. And then just a few verses later, in chapter 13, verse 13, we hear that John goes back home to Jerusalem. So in just a a few short verses, we find that there is this one that that is with them, that has been called to go with them, that is meant to be a helper, but he doesn't last very long, and he goes back home to Jerusalem. Now, this hardly seems like anything at all, right? Up until chapter 15. So when we get to today's passage, suddenly this thing that that, oh, he went home, he went back to Jerusalem, suddenly we realize, oh, there's a little bit more to this story than what it appeared in chapter 13, because there's a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul about John Mark. For Barnabas, it seems that whatever happened back in chapter 13 was excusable, that there's room for a second chance. That we don't have to hold this against John Mark. And so he is desperate to invite John Mark to come back on the journey with them. Let's invite John Mark to come with us. Barnabas sees potential in this young man. It might be interesting for you to know that Barnabas means son of encourager. And I, I wonder if Barnabas is more than just a son of an encourager. I wonder if he's an encourager himself. That he was an encourager to, to the young Saul, Paul, that had been transformed. That he wants to be an encourager to John Mark. And so he wants to invite this one that has stumbled, that left. Whatever reason he didn't make it, he wants to invite him back to give him a second chance. But Paul sees it very differently than Barnabas. We're not given the specifics of the conversation. But what it does show in the verses that I've read is that Paul does not trust John Mark. Did you notice that he said he deserted us? That's very personal language. He's taken this going back. Go back to chapter 13, verse 13. It just says that he returned to Jerusalem. But that returning back to Jerusalem was taken very personally on the part of Paul. He was wounded by this. He sees this as as somewhat of a betrayal that he has left them and he cannot be trusted. John Mark cannot come on the second journey with us because if he comes on the second journey with us, he might do what he did on the first one and go back home and leave us, betray us, desert us is the language that Paul uses. It seems that Paul has been wounded by John Mark's actions. So that we read verse 39. Probably if you're in the habit of underlining scripture in your Bible that is important and you want to remember, right? And, and it speaks to you, I bet there's probably nobody, maybe in the history of Christianity, that has ever underlined verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Is that edifying to anybody in here? <laughs> Do you want to underline that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Lord is blessing me in that text. What is happening here? How? How? How do we have such a sharp disagreement between between these two men that they decide that they have to part company? How? This is not how I would write this story. The book of Acts is all about the start of the Christian church. Jesus has been ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is the story of his disciples carrying on the message into the world. Why do we have in chapter 15, after two men have been brought together and they show that they work well together and that they are a good team, And they are taking the gospel into far off places and they seem to be receiving the fruit of that. Why in the world in chapter 15 do we have it recorded that they have to separate and go their separate ways? Why do we have to hear about these failures? I wonder why Luke has meticulously recorded for us in chapter 12 verse 25 and then in 13.4 that John Mark was with them only to record in 13.13 that he went back home. Wouldn't it have just been easier just to kind of write John Mark out of the story? Why do we have to hear about that? Why do we have to hear that that, that going back actually leads to a division between Barnabas and Paul? Again, I want to know, why, why doesn't Luke just delete that part of the story? Reshape it, reform it, skip over it. Well, friends, the answer comes in the fact that this actually isn't the end of John Mark's story. <laughs> but you're going to have to hold on for that. In just, a, I'll get to that in just a moment. Right now, I think it's important for us to sit with this disagreement, this point of tension that we have that's recorded in Scripture. I think we do well, it seems to me, to remember that God's new beginnings don't always come without complications. I think that's what we would like. And I think if we're honest, we would hope that the Christian faith is just offering us all the easy answers to life, that it would make our lives a lot easier and a lot simpler. But has that been your experience? It hasn't always made my life easier, it hasn't always been uncomplicated. I think if you're seeking after the Christian faith because you want something that's easy and simple, And without complication, then friend, I can't offer the Christian faith to you. Because the testimony of Scripture, all from the beginning to end, is that the people of God, in the realness of life, deal with complication. Even though they are men and women of faith. Even though they they truly believe in God and are following God, still complication comes into life. And Scripture records it for us. Here we have two great men of faith. Do you remember Barnabas' description? He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was full of faith. In other words, we know all about Paul because Paul has written much of the New Testament. We know he's a man of God. What I want you to see, friends, I don't think we should judge Barnabas here as inferior or less than. These are two men of faith. Two men that believe passionately that they are following Jesus Christ. And these two men of faith are at odds with each other. And I don't think the way to get out of us wrestling with this reality is for, one of, or for us to name one as less than. Oh, Barnabas must be in the wrong here. I don't think that's what the text is telling us at all. The new beginnings of God don't come without their difficulties because God has chosen to work through us humans. <laughs> and I'm sorry to tell you this as your pastor, you're kind of complicated. (laughs) I'm complicated. Humans are complicated. We all are unique. And that means that we have our own unique opinions, our own life experiences. We have differences of thoughts and, and hopes and dreams. And the church isn't immune to this. In other words, the Christian church isn't a place of clones. You don't have to be like everybody else to fit in here. You need to be yourself. And as you're being yourself, I'm going to be myself, and every once in a while, you and I are going to butt heads. We're not going to see it exactly the same way. That has never happened in my married life. (laughs) This most sacred of relationships that I have, I can... My wife is here. I can be honest with you, right? Most meaningful relationship I have in my life. And every once in a while, we have disagreements. Every once in a while, we don't see it exactly the same. Every once in a while, there's friction there. That's the reality of God working with real human beings, In the midst of all of this, though, there's the Holy Spirit knitting us together, making sure that these these moments of friction, these moments of, of discord or discomfort, these challenges that we might experience, don't rip us apart. And so then we kind of wonder what's happening here. Sometimes sharp disagreements arise. But I want you to notice something before I get to the coming together. On the surface, it seems like this is just a sad experience, doesn't it? I feel kind of sad reading this. I don't know how you're you're reading it, but I feel sad. I feel kind of down that these two men have to divide over this. But I want you to notice something. Where there was one, now there's two. Up until this moment, there was one missionary team that was going out. Barnabas. And Paul. But because of this disagreement, now they've, they've separated, and there's a source of sadness there for sure. But now the one has become two, and each of them takes on a partner. Barnabas picks John Mark to go with him on a missionary journey, and, and Paul picks Silas to go with him on a missionary journey. And so, and this one has multiplied. It's uncomfortable. I want you to see that God's still in work in what's uncomfortable. That God's still work at work in the complicated and messy reality of human relationships and human life. That God hasn't walked away from this. That God is in the midst of it. And so he does his good work through Barnabas and John Mark. And he does his good work through Paul and Silas. There's no question about that. Commended by the believers... To the grace of the Lord, verse 40 tells us. Both these teams are commended. Both teams go off to do the good work. I don't want you to hear that I'm suggesting that God wanted this to happen. I don't know about you, but I tend to think that, I th- that God always wants us to live at peace with one another. What do you think? I have a hard time reading this passage and thinking that God wanted Paul and Barnabas to separate over this experience. But even in the messiness of that, God is still working. God is still raising up new leaders. There are two young men that are brought in that are being mentored. God is still working. I think we need to wrestle with the complications of our lives. Because I know you have some complexity I know that we're a church that has experienced separation in relationships and divorce and, and struggles with parents and, and friends, and we're real human beings. We've experienced these things. You might really identify with this Paul and Barnabas story today to think, yes, there was a time where I was in deep friendship with this friend. And because of circumstances that weren't always in my control, or maybe they were, but because of circumstances, we separated. I think there's probably some people in here that can identify with that story. And the good news for you is I want you to know that God is still at work. Even though life has become more complex than you wanted or or hoped for, that God is still moving and God can still use your life, just like he still uses Barnabas and still uses Paul, of course. I think he can still use you. But to leave it here, would be would be to miss out on a very very significant detail that's easy to miss. So now, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Anybody grow up listening to Paul Harvey like I did? <laughs> the young people, you have to Google it. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> ah. Whatever John Mark's failures had been or weaknesses were, the second chance that Barnabas offered him proved very beneficial. Acts doesn't focus, or Acts focuses on Paul and his journey with Silas and doesn't tell us a lot about Barnabas and his journey with John Mark. But do you know what? Paul has some things to say about Mark. Colossians chapter 4 verse 10 Paul writes, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So I want to say, wait, what? John Mark was Barnabas' cousin? That would have been a good detail to learn in Acts, but it wasn't recorded there. (laughs) No wonder Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance. Come on, Paul. He's family. (laughs) Ah, but something's happened. Since that break, since they went their separate ways, doing their good work for the Lord, somewhere along the way, Paul heard about Mark and a change, saw something in Mark and says to this church in Colossae hey if he shows up you should receive him as a brother in Christ no warning oh he might desert you <laughs> we don't get that do we oh you should you should receive him Philemon verse 24 it's one of the few books of the Bible that only has one chapter so it only has verses Philemon 24 Paul doesn't just suggest that he should be welcomed as a brother. He lists John Mark as one of the fellow workers, along with a few other names. In other words, that's, that's language. Fellow workers in the gospel is language that Paul references ministers. So here's John Mark, who's not just a brother in Christ to be received if he shows up at your church, but in Philemon, he names him as a fellow minister, a, fe- a co-worker in the gospel Oh, there's been a change that's happened somewhere along the way, somewhere between the separation. God has been moving and there's a new beginning that's been happening in the life of Paul and in the relationship with John Mark. But friends, it's not, he's not done. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes these words. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Mm. These are little details that would be easy to miss. And we could get Acts 15 and just think that there was this separation that happened and it just kept happening. But the testimony that we're given, these little crumbs, these bread trails, is that actually somewhere along the way, Paul and John Mark came back together. And that there was growth in John Mark to such a a degree that Paul doesn't just name him as a brother in Christ, a a minister of the gospel, but he actually says about the one that deserted him so far in the past, this one I need right now because he is helpful to my ministry. Mm. New beginnings are sometimes complicated. Scripture records the complication for us. It doesn't hide from it. It's right there. It's recorded every bit of it, the separation. But friends, I think if we allow God into the complexity of our lives, that what we're going to find is that he does even new beginnings in the midst of that, just like he has done right here with John, Mark, and Paul. Which we have to assume means that Barnabas and Paul reconciled as well, came back together And so I want to ask you, as we're wrapping up this series on new beginnings and we've talked about many different examples of new beginnings throughout this book, I'm wondering if maybe we need to sit with the reality that we have some relationships in our lives that are severed right now, that we've walked away, we've been hurt, maybe on both sides, Maybe it's mostly on one side and, and you've been hurt. But I'm wondering if we have Acts chapter 15 and, and then some of the breadcrumbs that, that Paul has recorded for us so that you and I can begin to question, might God do something new in this relationship? I wonder if you're brave enough to even begin to open up to that. Because that's kind of scary. When we've been wounded or hurt by somebody, it's real. I don't want to diminish that at all, and I don't want to suggest that you should just forget about it. I'm just wondering if maybe we need to make space for God to step into that hurt, step into that complexity of our lives, that difficulty, so that he can do good work. And might we find that he begins to open the door like he did in John Mark and Paul's life, to actually heal a divide, a break? Do you believe that God can do that? Do you believe it's in the heart of God to, to heal ancient hurts, old wounds, relational pain, and separation? Do you think God wants to do that? I, I do. I don't know that being open to that reality will always necessarily mean that we get to walk through the door that John Mark and Paul did where they embrace each other and no longer hold the old hurts. I don't know that that's all of our will be all of our experiences, but I'm wondering if we could close our service today with us as a congregation just being open to the reality that God might want to do that. might he be waiting for you to just say, God, I hurt, I'm wounded, but I'm open. If you want me to walk this journey of reconciliation, I'm open. Help me. I can't make you do that, but I'm asking. I think this would be a huge testimony on the part of us Calvary Community Church of the Nazarene to be a community that in the complexity of real life where hurt happens, we're also people that believe that reconciliation can happen. New beginnings can happen, even in the complexities of our real lives. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. We have a song that we're going to sing. But instead of you just standing and singing and just kind of moving on to the lyrics of the song... I'm wondering if maybe you would make where you're seated a prayer space or even if you want to come down to the altars. Some of us have serious hurts. And I'm wanting to provide space for you to just name them before God to, to pour out your heart if you need to. And that's what the altars are, about, are, are here for. But you can also do this in your chair. And so I'm just asking the praise team to go ahead and sing for us. And if you feel like you want to participate, that's great. But I'm just going to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. Maybe just invite the Holy Spirit to sift you. What hurt? What complexity of your life do you think maybe God is moving in and wants a new beginning in? God, I love today's passage because it's so real I think we each can identify it with it in some ways it speaks to a reality that we know we know what it's like to be deserted by somebody wounded by somebody betrayed by somebody to the point that we don't want them to be in our lives anymore I think I understand Paul. I also understand Barnabas if if this is his cousin that that, that that it's family we need young man we we need to give second chances and and that's hard in its own way. And I understand what it means to live with people and have disagreements, to see it differently. I think all of us do, God. And so in these closing moments of worship would you move? Would you speak? If we need to pour something out to you, if we need to just slightly open the door, would you give us the courage to do that? Would you continue to speak to us as we listen, as we sing, as we continue to pray?